joined by Paul Moore, the founder and managing director of Rebel Jitty. Paul, how are you keeping? Good, David. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for joining. No worries at all. Glad to be here. You're making great strides in the food world. So give a little introduction to how you actually got started. Yeah, so I started making sauce at home in my mother's kitchen day one, um, very much as a bit of a bit of crack and just to see what 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 kind of what we could do because I had a love of hot sauces and really why we started was we couldn't find any good ones on the on the market. They were either way too hot or too sweet or whatever. So I kind of said, look, let's let's make it and see what we can do. So um, it was a bit of a hit and hope. And we made some sauce, went to the local farmer's market with my brother at the time and uh, kind of went from there and started supplying independent shops and did lots of food festivals and markets. So they were great to kind of build a customer base. Um, and did, you, did you have any food background before this or was it just an interest in food? Just an interest in food. Like I, I didn't have any background. Like I hadn't studied or worked in food at all. Like obviously I loved food, but I didn't have any training in it. Um, so it's funny someone has asked me like, was that a, I suppose a drawback or a, or 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 a benefit? I actually was a benefit because if I had an experience in food, I probably probably would have approached it totally differently. Um, and, and yeah, that's, a, and that's, I, a, that's actually interesting because you think about a lot of people that start up businesses. A lot of people who started up. To make money and that's the pure yeah you yeah. kind of i suppose you you kind of already said it there you found that the niche that was missing but it was a personal goal i suppose as well it was it was and like obviously at the time we were like oh we could maybe make a few bit of bit of bob from this but there was no commercial gain or or, or insight or goal there it was kind of like more fun if you know what i mean than than commercial so it was a good way to start and so starting from Starting from the mother's kitchen, when yeah. did the decision? Uh, when did the decision say, right, we're 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 next step. We go to a, a better kitchen. <laughs> when you ran out of space, I suppose. <laughs> um, Every drawer you opened, like, there was rebel chili bottles falling out, kind of thing. Yeah, like, pretty much, pretty much. Like we were taking over the kitchen, and anyway, once you go past a certain stage, like a, a, a house kitchen is not suitable at all. You need a commercial kitchen, a proper kitchen. So we moved in and we moved around from kitchen to kitchen. We moved up to Fire and Ferris, up the north side. We found the kitchen there that was kind of not being used for much of the day. So we rented that out. Um, it wasn't ideal though. It was a bit kind of like, we'd go through this big old building and get there and carry all the boxes. So it was a bit of a dose. But now we, then we moved them um, two years ago now, I think, to the Carrigline Industrial Kitchens. So they're run by the council, but they're fantastic because you book in for as long as you want and uh, it's yours so it's great. I, i've actually heard great things about that it's like a hub for startups basically isn't it, uh, it for is. startup businesses yeah. Yeah, yeah it is and like so basically for example if you want to test out a product you can rent it for one hour or you can rent it for 10 hours so it's very good and it means you don't have to rent a premises for a month because really i only need to use the kitchen maybe three or four days a month max hmm. so the rest of the day would be wasted if i was renting it if you know what i mean yeah it's not a, it's not a a fresh product as such so you can have good shelf life on it i suppose it's yeah like i suppose it's 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 a fresh product but it's not doesn't have a short shelf life as you said like yeah. i get probably 12 months naturally like we don't add any additives or preservatives preservatives but um yeah so we can make a lot and you know source and that's actually interesting like you see a lot of um new food uh new foods entering the market nowadays that are as you said like kind of non-preservative Mm. maybe gluten-free you know yeah. missing this missing that um but i think there's a big emphasis on making sure that the quality and the flavor and the taste is still there because 
some of the you know before a lot of that kind of stuff would have added to the flavor was that an important thing for you starting out that you know we make this as healthy and as as um you know not limiting to to different categories i suppose was that an important thing at the start the most important thing was just firstly that it tasted great and that it was a bit different so like we wanted the flavors we didn't want it to be too salty or too sweet but we wanted to have really good fresh flavor and then we naturally kind of fell into then the oh, it actually is gluten-free. For example, seven of our, of six of our products are naturally gluten-free. Um, they're vegans, but they're all vegan. Um, so we kind of fell into those categories where I think you're right, lots of people might set out to say, I want to create a vegan, yeah. gluten-free sauce. Whereas we started the other way, we started with the product. And as you said, you want to make sure the product's actually really good first before you start trying to make it fit in certain categories. Hmm. And you mentioned there, so... So starting out, you kind of went down the farmer market route and um, yeah. selling it that way. I think that's personally from from dealing with food myself with different businesses and stuff. I think that's an important avenue for a lot of businesses to go, whether it's that or whether it's actually getting on the ground. If you do go to the bigger boys in terms of retail and um, getting on the ground and, and doing tastings and stuff, because I think a lot of people miss out on that customer interaction, I suppose. So by you getting out in the farmer market, I suppose you were getting... One, you were getting to see who your customers were. You were getting yeah. to see your audience profile, but also you were probably getting the feedback the following week when they came back and said, I tried it. So was that oh, important definitely. to you at the start? Oh, definitely. No, I, I totally agree. I think for any, like, and I've been asked a lot by companies, food companies starting out, like, what's the best way to start or where should we start? And I always tell them, like, start at the farmer's market because, as you said, you get feedback, you get interaction with customers, you get people's reactions for example like a big part of our stall before at a festival is our markers is the person actually tasting the sauce in front of us and saying oh i like that or i don't like that but i like this one and initially when we were starting out like that gives you great feedback it allows you to kind of tweak your products as well if you know if loads of people don't like one you can make a change to it or if certain if people love a certain product you know it's a, a firm favorite then you know so i think it's brilliant and you get to work with other businesses and you talk to people so it's fantastic and you get money as well like as in everyone's talking about cash is king like farmers markets are great for that for getting a bit of sales and it builds your confidence as well because i suppose it hones your selling ability as well like it's not like it's not that may sound too commercial but like as in at the end of the day you're there to meet people and introduce them to the products and to sell it as well you know so i think they're they're crucial to any business starting out you kind of mentioned two things there. So it's not the, like, I for years I worked in bars and, you know, you kind of you either survive or you don't in terms of customer service. You know, you'll either yeah. be that quiet barman or you'll be well able for the chat and well able to handle the lad sitting at the end of the bar. Yeah. It's very similar in farmer's markets, you know, that you have that chat and you have to have the banter. And totally. whatever you do, as you already mentioned, in terms of a brand or a logo behind you or, you know, brilliant when you get them to taste the product and it actually stands up to what you're saying. But that person is absolutely vital you know that mm. that right character selling it and that becomes part of your brand and that personality so not every i suppose not every business has that you know whether it's a business owner that's able to stand up and be charismatic or chatty yeah. or fit into the style did you find i can do this or was it you know at the start we get someone else do you know what what way were you thinking at the start and it was always i suppose i was always myself i, I kind of like my way of looking at it is that, is that if i'm trying to sell a product or put my go you know get behind the product i have to be able to sell it then so like it was always like that starting out and then as we were like growing got busier i might get say a friend in 
but that was when we were like as in you know when, when we were very busy we had the lads over in the house putting the labels on doing up the cases helping out the farmers markets and um, so i think that's crucial as well because you want to make sure that people if you're not there the people who are there instead of you are able to sell well enough um, and it's not for everyone like it is hard because essentially okay you're you know you're standing in the market but you're, you're talking to people as you said you're having a bit of crack but also there's people there who are you know they may be more hard nosed and want to haggle with you for example and like that can make people feel uncomfortable but it's just a small little thing that it's it's a great thing to get good at in a in a farmer's market sense but i always think that you have to be behind like you have to be the face behind the brand or the company or whatever one you call it that's what people buy into at the end of the day like people and, obviously want to see Rebel Chili succeed but if I meet you at the farmer's market and you say geez that fellow is sound or I really like his products it'll make you want to support Rebel Chili even more going forward Yeah, and no one would no one will be able to talk no matter how much you pay someone no matter how much you train someone no one's able to talk about the product like you can talk about the product because you know yeah. you know the blood sweat and tears that went into it you know exactly and, the, and, I, and I like I suppose initially I kind of thought that like, oh, I'd be able to train someone up to the same as me. But then I quickly realized you can't because unless it's your own thing, no one cares about it as much as you. And that's just natural. Like if I went to work for someone else, I even if I loved their company, I cannot possibly care for it as much as the person who set it up. Because yeah. as you said, they've gone through every little high and low along the way. Like, So, and, and looking back, as the, as the whole picture of starting out the business, was there a couple of obstacles that you had to overcome or looking back now thinking, you know, I wish someone told me about that or, you know, um, you know, I wish I avoided that now or someone listening that maybe is thinking of starting up a business, what kind of things do they need to look out for? Like I suppose the hardest thing for me, I was doing it in college up until I did BIS in college and then I finished in 2014. So I went full-time then pretty much when I graduated, whereas before I'd been part-time, that was quite a jump because before it had been like weekends, farmers markets, the odds, you know, delivery here and there. Where then went, uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then it went to totally all my focus being on the job Monday to Saturday. And um, so that was quite a big jump. So I probably could have done with some help around that. But I suppose then it meant I learned the hard way then I learned quite quickly. Um, one thing I would say as well that definitely would have helped is to put more of a structure on the business. Like I very much worked ad hoc. Like I might wake up and be like, okay, I'll work on this today. And I'll do this in the afternoon. I'll do something else then or whatever came to me, which is fine. But like, I think if you, if 20% or 10% of your time is doing that, that's okay. But the rest needs to be structured because you just get more done. And I think it took me probably two years, three years until I really actually appreciated that. Um, and I probably like I probably could have gotten to that stage quicker if I had talked to other business owners but I was like oh I'm too headstrong I know it you know so but I suppose that's all part of the learning like and did you have people around you at the start kind of guiding you or maybe giving you a bit of mentorship or just you know people that you would seek out advice from did you have anyone like that not really like I I definitely spoke to some other food business owners and I got a bit of mentorship from the local enterprise office. Mm-hmm. Um, but not really. It was very much kind of uh, learning, learning it by doing, you know, which is good. But I suppose it would have been handy to have some bit of um, more regular support just to guide me when I was unsure. You know, but now I, but then I look back at the same time and say, I think it made me better at making decisions as well. So. I'm not afraid to fail either. Do you know? I think that's a big thing probably of starting a business that knowing and expecting that there is going to be failures probably along the way somewhere. 
Yeah, it, it, it kind of becomes part of the, the day-to-day to say that it's always a possibility, you know, and if it happens, it happens. And even if it does happen, it's never going to be so catastrophic that it stops you. You know, I think you have to view it that way. Yeah, making sure you learn from it, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned that you stock into local artisan shops, but you also go down the route of you're stocking into some of the bigger chains in terms of retail as well. What's it like? What What's the what's the benefits of of dealing with local artisan producers or local artisan shops, sorry. Um, the benefit is, I suppose, you, you establish a relationship with the shop owners or the people working in the shop. And I suppose you can get, like, it's it's a, it's a an easier relationship to manage because, you know, they can text you and say, oh, I need a delivery. You can call in. It's not as formal as a, you know, one of the larger multiples. Um, and like one of our longest stock, longest supplying stock is um, Oman's Butchers in the English Market. Like, oh, yeah. And them forever. And, like I have a great relationship with them. Like I get all the meat from my meat from them regularly and Christmas and all that. So like you develop a closer relationship like that. Um, and that but, kind of probably stems on that's And it's, you might not be standing there, but that's another form of a farmer market for you. Like, because, you know, the English market is an absolute fantastic food destination, but being mm-hmm. having the guys behind the stall upsell your product or, you know, get the feedback each week, you know, it's just another extension onto those farmers markets you did at the start. It is totally, and like the amount of people that have said to me, "Oh, I've seen your sauce on the on the butcher stall in the English market." It's crazy. So, like, that's another, you know, it's another present. Like, because I I wouldn't be able to be in the English market on my own in a stall, but it's great to be in there in another way, you know. And and you're not going to, you know, the the, the benefit of having the big chains, the big retailers, is the presence, the brand awareness. You know, that's that's what's going to grow your brand. Mm. bigger like you know obviously but you're not going to have that same level of communication or on the ground approach or on the ground um you know uh upsell for your brand you know you're not going to have that probably in the big retails because you have how many staff running around trying to keep the place stocked you know there's no one focusing on your oil today or the you know totally you know you're not going to have that in the big retail so that that is a huge benefit to any probably business starting out in food it drink. is definitely, and I, I, again, I think when you, when you, if you build up a nice base of um, independent stores, like you'll be able to get a sales pattern and a sales history, so that when you talk to the bigger boys, when they say how many cases are you selling a week, you're not saying, oh, I don't know. You say, well, in the busier stores, we sell X a week, and even those small things make you more. I just it adds more credibility to your proposal because, like, if when I'm talking to one of the bigger supermarkets i'm just another number i'm just another company yeah. i don't care really who i am because uh, you know so i suppose if you can the more impressive you can be or the more kind of information you have for them the better i think in terms of um, marketing and, and social media and that kind of world for for what you're doing mm-hmm. you know it's great to get you know a share on instagram stories or a retweet or something from one of the big guys because like that's you know, a reach that you could never probably get to unless you do go to a huge, huge level on social. But the fact that you have, as you said, the guys, no Mahoney's or any other, the local producers you follow, they could be talking about you on their social media, you know, and you're back and forth and there's kind of a, oh, yeah. a line of communication. Like you're not going to get that with the bigger ones. So that's another benefit to, to the smaller artisans. I totally like you have that cumulative effect of like, if you have, if, if a store in Dublin, Pfizer starts supplying a small store in Dublin, they put up on their stories, or three stores put up in their stories, you know, that you reach so many more people than you would by just putting up on your own, for example. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the the larger multiples are great, like as in we supply Super Value, Duns and Aldi, and 
you know, if you get mentioned on Aldi's Twitter or Instagram, that's fantastic because that's, I don't know, 100,000 people, but not everyone will see it, but it's putting it out there to 100,000 people, you know, so it's less, it doesn't happen as often. But I think if you have the combined effect of the smaller stores and the bigger stores, then it all adds up. And in terms of social media, how important is that for you? Ah, massive. I mean, like the majority of all our advertising and is done on social media. Like when I say advertising, I mean paid ads would be on Facebook and Instagram. But all of like we post probably four or five times a week on Facebook and Instagram, just out generally to our followers, and it's it's the best way of staying in contact with people. It's the best way of informing them of your your news and your updates. And it's a great way of interacting with them because someone can literally have their dinner and say, oh, I had my sauce there. It was lovely. And like, that's the kind of stuff that never, ever, ever get old, no matter how big or small you are. Like. And, and I always think no matter how much content you create or the most polished little graphic you, you make, someone taking a picture of something like that on their dinner table is, to me, is far more valuable than a graphic that you're going to create with a graphic designer to put out. Totally. Ah, totally. Yeah. And I think especially now with the way Instagram's gone, I think it's gone away from the very heavily stylized images. People are like more and more just want to hear what other people are using on or like, you know, the, the, the picture quality may not be as good, but if someone sees like someone they know or a normal, when I say normal, like not a big photographer or brand, they see a normal person using their food, that's more impactful than, than anything. Like it's, it's just real. That's what it is. It, yeah, it's real. Yeah, totally. yeah and do you so you you mentioned you're on facebook twitter instagram have facebook. you ventured to tiktok um, <laughs> I, did, I, I did initially and then i found i actually ended up i was spending like literally too much time scrolling and i was like okay i have to get off this now i know i probably should go back because it it obviously has massive potential and it's amazing for, for sharing and reaching people. Um, I was debating it there at the start of February I, I, between Reels and TikTok, but I'm going to spend time on Reels first and just getting accustomed to that. Um, I think, I think they're, they're very um, time-consuming uh, for content creation. Like they, they take a lot of time. Like, and I think, you know, it's, it's, you know speaking to you like that you look after the social media it's great but if you were working in a bigger corporation where there's maybe a little bit of a team looking after the marketing or social you know and mm. next thing there's this trend and craze around tiktok and you're like why are we not on tiktok it's because it takes twice the amount of effort and time oh, to crazy. make that stuff you know oh, yeah. but i also think it's important and we've already mentioned in terms of your audience like you have to find where your audience is so like i would presume looking at you and what social channels you have you've kind of honed in especially after a few years and you kind of know what, what your audience is and what they want yeah, we do. Like in terms of our, like we we would have two main audiences. They're kind of like young professionals and young families. So that would be twenty two to to forty five. Now we do have people who are older than that and younger than that eating the sauces. But by and large, it's between those two. So they would be most active on Instagram. I would say, um, like we've a better following on Facebook, but not as much interaction. Um, so Instagram seems to be where our customers or followers, whatever you want to call them, would be most. So that's kind of where we focus our attention. And you, um, like I see some, like you put out some great, um, you know, kind of um, animations every now and again, and you put out, you know, like kind of real, really good photos. Do you look after that kind of side of stuff yourself or do you actually work with a team to do that? I handle most of it myself. I do work with a media company in Dublin um, who, like, they will create some content for me, especially in stories. 
they're quite good at the stories and some posts as well. So we kind of use maybe existing stuff or a new stuff um, or stuff that they create. So like, for example, now when we went into Aldi yesterday for a special buy for two weeks. So like today there's a salad image going out that we've used before. And then on Sunday, there's one from the company I work with and then tomorrow will be one of the posts that I'll create. So it's a mixture of kind of everything. Yeah, I think that's I good prefer, as well. I prefer having, like, I think the biggest thing, Dave, is if you hand over control, you have to make sure that the person fully understands who you are or what the, you know, what the page is about. Because I think you can very easily spot companies that are managing other companies' pages and it doesn't look as well. So... Yeah. I've talked to I've talked to loads of people before about the benefits of, you know, whether it's an agency or not, you mm-hmm. know, and I think there's, as you said, there's that fine line when you hand someone over your social media, it's like handing over the keys to your house or the keys to your business. Do you know, it's, it's, it is a huge responsibility. They can, they can make or break you in one tweet. Do you know that kind of thing? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And if they don't, if they don't get or understand what you've done in the past, it sticks out like a sore tongue. Yeah. And it's a big thing to come in and, you know, find find like if you took on someone now tomorrow to kind of help you with social to find it will would take time to find your style find you know and even get to know your audience like because you see the same names popping up you know you know yeah oh mary there is you know every sunday i get the the post from mary you know keep an eye on her make sure you interact with her you know it does take time to get to know that so taking on an agency to look after your marketing is always it's it's not that it's a big no-no for me but it's it's how they approach it do they actually get invested in your business because you have to have someone that's involved in your business knows the day-to-day knows the people knows how it runs and has already said knows the style and 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 the brand guidelines i suppose you know of how you operate so it is it is a big commitment and a big uh, risk and a chance to take it is like i think it comes into like if you're working for example i work with ping media in dublin and i think it's just maybe one or two people but it's good because it works for us whereas if we work with a bigger media agency it might be a team of people but like less care being given to Red yeah. Chile, you know, which ultimately will dictate the quality of the stuff that goes up about you. Like, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's very important. Um, we've seen a big trend, especially since COVID started. Now we've seen a big trend around the whole idea of support local, buy local. Do you know? Um, have you seen that coming to fruition in front of you? Have you seen that kind of love and attention for small local brands since that started? Yeah, definitely. I think especially when uh, the lockdown started last year and in the summer when online sales were going up, definitely we saw an increase in that. And like we, at the start of the lockdown, pushed out a load of recipes that we had just to say, look, if anyone, because that was when people were at home first, it was like, look, here's a load of recipes. If you want to make them with our sauces, brilliant or not, if you want to just use them for yourself. And I think like that and like, combined with people wanting to buy local and having to buy local as well because of you know not being able to get stuff and just wanting to stay local so i think that definitely helped us and um, so we definitely saw like more interaction more sales um as a result and even before kind of covid kicked in we did see you already mentioned the likes of you know done super value aldi all these they're all really starting to get a good grasp of their you know support local programs i suppose like you know aldi has to grow with aldi um, Super Value has the Food Academy. Do you know? I think that was a fantastic move from the big retailers. So, is that kind of how you approach some of these retailers and do you come in with those kind of, in those avenues? Yeah, it would be like, I mean, we, for example, the Aldi, when we got into the Grow Aldi program three years ago and have been supplying them since then. And we got in again now for this June. And I think 
they want Irish suppliers. And I think the reason they want that is they want to support Irish suppliers, but also they see that like Irish customers want to buy Irish products as well. So like if they can offer a better product offering, then it's a win-win all around. Like. Yeah, no, 100%. I think, as you said, people are seeking out those Irish brands now. They, yeah. it's a, it's, and especially now when people, as you said, kind of get maybe back into the, the normal routine of shopping, whether they're still staying with their local producer or they go to the bigger retailers. I think that that need and want for Irish products is, is still going to be there. I think so. Like, and I think once people, for example, it doesn't matter what the product is, if the product is better yeah. and it's made in Ireland, then I think most people would probably stay. Like, I, 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 like unless obviously there's, you know, money and price comes into it, but like by and large, if they're having it, if they're using whatever product and it's way better, they probably want to stick with it. Like, But as you said, I think then, Backing up what you what you do in, in the bottle, I suppose, you know, backing up the quality yeah. with with that value added content online in terms of recipes or just general information or showing other people enjoying it, it all ties in. It, you know, yeah. it, it, oh. it's all part of it. So that that's great. But have you looked at outside of Ireland? I have, like we've supplied to the UAE before to Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, and Kuwait. It didn't really work out. We were, it was too soon in, like, I think it was five years ago. It was too soon. At the time, it was brilliant, but, like, we weren't ready for it at all. Um, like, it, I suppose the big thing about supplying somewhere like that is it relies heavily on the Irish expat network, and we just wouldn't have been well-known enough then. Um, we have exported to Spain in the past. Again, it was decent, but what happens is the cost of getting the product to the country is so high, it just makes the product too expensive, you know, um and we've done a bit to the UK, like we're selling well now on Amazon.co.uk, it's going in the right direction. Um, but I would like to start supplying some major British retailers like Waitrose or Tesco. Um and we will down the line, it's I think it's part of the plan. It's just definitely more difficult now because of Brexit and any additional costs or issues. So I think for right now, for this year anyway, we'll continue to focus on Ireland and growing in Ireland. Like we have a few special projects for this year. But next year, definitely down the line, like UK is is the biggest market for us outside of Ireland. And you mentioned there like Amazon and, and online sales. Did you have before, like we saw a big shift when when COVID struck that, you know, a lot of businesses started started selling e-commerce and started setting up their, their online platforms. Did yeah. you already have that up and running before COVID hit or? Yeah, we had an online shop set up and um, we probably had it set up for about two or three years but it was last year was by far and away our best year. So it was great to have to have had it set up and be ready to take orders. Because I know lots of people were catching up. So we were set up for it, yeah. And and do you find how do you find dealing with the likes of the, the likes of Amazon and all that? Like is it is it a growing market or or does it kind of do you open 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 the online orders and the floodgates open kind of a thing? Is it you know you hear that kind of story a lot with, with Amazon and eBay and all those kind of platforms? Yeah, like we, so we started working with eBay last year and we worked with Amazon for about two years now. Amazon has been slow, but it's definitely picked up like last year and this year. It's definitely picking up more and more and I anticipate that it will continue to do so. And eBay is slower then as well, like because I, like I haven't used, I used eBay once or twice in probably seven years, you know. So there is still a market for it in Ireland and, and beyond, especially abroad. But it, it's funny, like I when I first set up the, our own online shop, I was like, Jesus, this is going to be mental now. 
and I think the first week we had like one order, you know, so <laughs> it's it varies. Um, and I think I think people, I, I thought oh, just by being online, I get loads of orders. But like the reality is you have to make it appealing to, to someone to buy online. Now that was helped last year when the pandemic hit and people didn't want to go to the shops, yeah. you know. So I suppose it ties in a lot to like, it's not just your underground marketing in terms of artisan, artisan stores and retailers. That has to be its own little kind of strategy, I suppose, itself is how we want to push the online store. It's another avenue for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in terms of, so you've already mentioned the future uh, in terms of wanting to start looking at bigger and bigger projects. Anything else big coming down the line that we should expect from Rebel Chili? Uh, so we released a product there last in October last year called the Korean Barbecue. So it's our newest product, and I'm delighted with how it's gone. Like the reaction has been amazing. Gold, um, gold at Lost and Heron in October as well. So that was fantastic. So that will be going into chopped. We supply every chopped out in the country. Chopped is a salad bar, and then that will be going into chopped on their chicken soon. So that's something to look out for. Um, and then one or two other kind of special projects which uh, will one will probably be ready at the end of this year one probably early next year um, and other than that I suppose just continuing to roll out really good recipes and going to try and get better at the Instagram reels as well so <laughs> so fingers crossed and you mentioned there so about the kind of brand partnerships with restaurants um, I also seen recently that you like you done with a whiskey company like how important is brand partnerships yeah, I'm, I'm, I, that's actually what I meant to say, Dave, massive, like they're massive. Like I think, like obviously it's good to be linked in with another business, but like what I think people love is they love seeing two Irish businesses working together to create something special. Like, as you mentioned there, like we did in with Bushmills last year where we made, we made a hot sauce for them and then we did um, cocktail masterclasses over Zoom. They were fantastic, a great crack, but like really enjoyable as well to see people making the cocktails and enjoying the sauces. So... I think brand partnerships are, are massive, like they're massively beneficial to, to us. Like I, I want to have at least four or five link ups of other Irish companies every year. Um, like we do with a Carberry cracker as well in Christmas. So we put like a, a, jam, a, a jar of our jalapeno and raspberry jam with three blocks of cheese in a little cracker and it looks great. So like just having a few of them in the year, it's just, one, it's a bit different. And I think both, the customers of, of each brand or company will then buy into it, you know. And you're leveraging and off each other's well. audiences as well. Exactly, yeah. And it's great to work with other businesses as well to create something different. And you mentioned there about the Blosh and Heron there a few minutes ago. So anyone doesn't know it's probably up there with pretty much Irish biggest food and drink awards, really. Like, you know, there's a few of them, but but Blosh and Heron has got a great reputation, uh, especially for customers when they walk in and see it on a packet. Yeah. How how important is it? to go and seek out you see a lot of businesses that go into food and drink especially starting out and they don't go near any of the awards you know whether it's the blush or whether it's great taste um but how important is it actually to get those those awards very important like and i think uh, when we got our first gloss in 2014 uh we were at the dingle food festival and we won gold there for a red chili and like even the amount of people the next day that came up to us at the food festival and were like oh just give me the gold one <laughs> you know, give me the, give me the one that won gold and it was yeah. amazing because i was like okay people really buy into awards and their effects um especially because they're blind taste tested so it is like purely based on what people think so they're very 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 beneficial like even having it on the korean now as well is great because if, if it's on the shelf people can see the award sticker and it's just like an endorsement already you know lots of people see that and just say oh it's a, it, 
it must be a good product. Like I do that myself. If I see a cheese or whatever with a blossom, it has that. It has good. that bit of brand recognition already. It does. Yeah, yeah. And it just makes. I suppose it even either makes them want to buy it even more or makes the sale a bit easier if someone's you know on, on the edge. Brilliant. Um, I just want to say thanks very much. Uh, some great nuggets of information right, in there. You. Most importantly, if people want to find you, where can they go and check out or or, or purchase the sauces themselves? Yeah, so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, we're at Rebel Chili. Um, two L's in Chili, and we are also. On... <laughs> do you have a lot of issues with that? Do you? <laughs> yeah, some, some, um, and then rebelchili.com for is our website, and you can get all our products on there if you want to order. And um, we're stocked in Duns Alley, Super Value, and Shopped as well, and lots of independent stores as well. Brilliant, Paul. Thanks very much, and uh, continue success for the future. Okay, thanks, Dave. Cheers. <laughs>